Well, at this time, I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles or open up your devices to Exodus 33. Exodus chapter 33. Uh, We've been going through a series in the book of Exodus, and we have seen God rescue and deliver his people from Egypt, but we've also seen them turn to idolatry. And God's response was to discipline his people, but he doesn't leave them there, or he, and he doesn't forsake them, even though he is disciplining them. And now here in Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23, we see Moses responding to God's action with a desire to see what God is doing and who he is. And so follow along with me, Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23. This is the word of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But... He said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, going through prolonged hard times often reveals us, and it reveals us in what we want, and it reveals us in what we want to see have an experience that gets to this. When I was a kid, my parents would regularly take long trips from Charlotte to Carolina or Curie Beach, which is on the the North Carolina coast. Uh, We would vacation there. My grandfather also lived there. And we would get in the car, and it'd be about a four or five-hour drive. It was a long hike um, for us. Uh, Back then, there weren't as many four-lane roads to get to the beach. And yes, like most kids, I would say, are we there yet? (laughs) How much longer, Mom and Dad? And I'm hungry, like most kids do. 
Even with the weight, though, there was always this hope that went with it, the hope that I'd see the beach, that I'd get to see my grandfather, and even get to do a little bit of fishing in the process. But here's what made it harder on this challenging trip for my family. My dad was a smoker, and he would pull out those cigarettes and fill up the car with smoke while I sat in the back seat with the window cracked trying to breathe in the process. Now today, we think, that's crazy. Why would a parent do that? But you gotta understand, back in those days when I was growing up, that was pretty normal to have smokers in a smoker's world. Now you can probably imagine when you're stuck in this uh, car for four or five hours with smoke all over the place, how, how you'd feel trapped, you'd wanna get out, and it would make your longing to see the end game of being at the beach in this case even more acute in our hearts. That is what COVID is like. Being stuck in a smoke-filled car for a long, long drive. And I would suggest to you that this kind of moment for us as followers of Jesus Christ presents an opportunity, an opportunity to reveal us in what we want and what we want to see in our lives. So today we're gonna look at a similar situation in Exodus 33 where Moses finds himself in a really uncomfortable, even trapped moment where he is stuck between the rebellious people of the Israelites and a holy God who is not happy with how they have handled their relationship with them. For Moses in our text, there is no easy way out. And so we find out what Moses wants and what he looks forward to in his prayers, in his prayers. Moses seeks the Lord and asks very specific things of the Lord in our text. So we're going to look today at Exodus 33, and some of the questions that come out of this would be this, what does Moses pray what does he pray for while feeling stuck in a smoke-filled car with the Israelites? And is in this trap place, what does Moses hope to see? What does he hope to see? And the big question for you and me today is this, what do we hope to see as we feel stuck in this life sometimes? It could be COVID. It could be other circumstances in life where we feel stuck between a rock and a hard place. Well, in this predicament, we're going to talk about how Moses prays, Moses presses, and even Moses pines or longs for God himself. You'll find your outline online as well as on the screen. So, let's talk real quick about how we get to this point. How did, Mo how did Moses get in the smoke-filled car with the Israelites? Well, the big story of Exodus is that God's delivered his people out of Egypt and he has freed them into a new life with him and even entered into what we would call almost like a marriage relationship with him, a covenant with them, a tight-knit relationship between God and his people. Uh, God was also leading them to the promised land of Canaan, and he was doing all this as a matter of grace. He was doing it out of his, something from within and not because of anything special about the Israelites. Yet, in chapter 32... In the heat of the struggles of being in the, in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, God's people 
do something really foolish. Moses was gone for 40 days to work out the law with God, and the people get impatient. They build a golden calf. They have a wild party. They have an orgy at the foot of Mount Sinai. God gets righteously ticked about this, about the rebellion and the spiritual adultery that's taking place. And then uh, things go from hard already to really hard. Moses comes down the mountain. He sends the Levites to carry out capital punishment on the idolaters. God sends a plague on the people, all the while Moses praying that God won't destroy them once and for all, but will forgive them. Now, the shocker in all this is that God has mercy. He has mercy on them. And yet, in our text that we've seen in chapter 33, these last few weeks, we find out that God tells the people some more bad news. Amidst all the bad things that are happening, there's more, and it's this. God says, you all are going to go on to Canaan, but you're going to go without me. I'm not accompanying you personally in the process. God literally leaves the center of the camp, millions of people, and he's literally in the center, and he moves to the outside in the tent of meeting, away from this massive camp where people can see him and Moses in a distance. The people are crushed by the move. But you have to wonder at this point, how did it affect Moses? How does he respond to this? Well, verse 12 tells us, look at verse 12 with me when it says this, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Now, Moses is right off the bat, his first response to this disaster is saying, hey, you, you tell us, you tell me to bring these people out of Egypt, you tell me to take them to Canaan, but who's going to go with me? How are we going to do this? And he's more than likely praying this in the tent of meeting. And as he's personally experiencing God pulling away, Moses' first thought was, don't leave me here alone. Don't leave me here alone. Who's going to do this with me? I mean, think about it. You have, Moses has had God with him all along throughout these adventures in Exodus, and God is pulling away. And he's thinking, I can't do this by myself. It's too much. Think about it. If you spent months doing some kind of big project on your house, like a renovation, you had multiple contractors and people and professionals helping you, and all of a sudden, all those guys pulled away and stopped doing it, and you were left with a mess all to yourself, you would have a sense of panic of how to do, how to handle the situation, how to move forward. Well, Moses is having the same experience. Now, mind you, a holy God doesn't have to stick around with an unholy people. After all, in our text, he goes on to say, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. But in this case, Moses is feeling the desperation because at the moment he feels like he's on his own. Ever felt like that before, even with God? To be sure, God does tell Moses that he'll send an angel with them back in verse 2, and yet Moses isn't satisfied. So what does Moses ask for? Look in verse 13. Moses prays this. He says, show me your ways. Show me your ways. What does that mean, show me your ways? It means show me your law, how to follow you. Show me your paths of living, uh, of interacting with people in love. Show me how to love. 
Show me most of all what it means for you to rescue people because that's what kind of God you are, a rescuing God. Show me is another way to say help me to see because I'm really having a hard time seeing right now. Moses is so linked up with God he cannot conceive of leading without the Lord. And here we see the nature of prayer. The very nature of it. you seek the Lord in dependence of I need you. I need you. Now, I know as I, sure as I say that to a bunch of achievers like are in this room and even yours truly, that's a hard thing to, follow, to swallow. I mean, we like to figure out our problems, don't we? We like to flex our talents and our experience. But here's the irony. In this terrible predicament that Moses and the people find themselves in, strength is actually found in dependence on the Lord first. Strength comes out of relying on God first. So when something happens in your life that's too big, that feels like it's too much, we learn from Moses right here, you go to the Lord first in dependence on him and reliance on him rather than trying to rely on self even more. There is a kind of purpose to this prayer in our text. Moses goes on to say, uh, show me your ways that I may know you and find favor or grace with you. Now, at this point, some of us may say, wait a second. If you've followed along in the story thus far, you'd think Moses already knew God and he'd already experienced his grace. Why is he asking for this? He's already known God. He's already got all kinds of grace from God. Why is he asking for it? Well, here's something to understand about following God. We are made to know him and to know his grace more. More. Many of us, or most of us here, have experienced the Lord in some real way. But the thing about God is the more you seek him, the more you'll want to seek him. The more you know him and are known by him, the more you want to know him and be known by him. It's the feedback loop of relationship that you have even with your own spouse or your kids where once in a while you get a new glimpse of who they are and go, huh, I never noticed that about them. I want to know more. I want to know you and I want to be known. That's what's going on in our text here. You see, God is magnetic when you're curious about him, you want more. Now, somebody here may say, well, now, wait a minute. What do you mean by knowing God? Knowing in Scripture is not a knowing of mere facts or looking up God on Wikipedia to understand a little angle about him necessarily. Knowing in Scripture is all about personal experience. Personal experience. You experience him by faith. If, if you are personally walking through life with God, you will experience him as a friend, a companion, someone who knows you and you know them. And in this case, you have a sovereign king for a companion. Here's an, a way to understand this, an analogy, if you will. The Super Bowl is tonight. Now, you got to know I am a Carolina Panthers fan. I'm from Charlotte, but I'm also a New England's Patriots fan. 
I lived in New England 25 years ago when I went to seminary, and so I became a fan then. But that means that I've really enjoyed the last 20 years of, for the New England Patriots, and particularly Tom Brady. Yes, I am a Tom Brady fanboy. I know some of you are disappointed in that, but here's the thing. I know a lot about Tom Brady, watching him play, and a lot of statistics about him and things like that, but you got to know something. I don't know him. I don't know him at all. And when we love a particular athlete or team and we watch from the sidelines, we can know all about them, but there is a world of difference between knowing about them and knowing them personally. You see, to know Tom Brady, you have to play on the team with him. You have to be on the field with him, carrying out the plays together with a common goal of a touchdown and a win. That's what God calls us to in knowing him, is not just knowing more facts about him, because there are tons of biblical facts, theological facts, the writing of books, there is no end about God. What it is is knowing him in a living relationship where he knows you, and you know him, and when you get into that, you want more grace. You want more of God. You taste more of his goodness. What about you? While we're enduring challenging times, this is an opportunity to know God, to know God in new ways, to know him more. Think about God in Christ as he's revealed in Scripture. Focus on an attribute, a work of God in Christ in your times of prayer, of your times of even contemplating what is God and who is, what is he up to. You know, in a pretty cruel world over this last year, I thought a lot about his kindness in the last three months. And it's changing how I experience him and how I treat people. In a world of frowns, it's nice to know that we have a loving God who's smiling at us when we seek his face in prayer. In light of that, how did God respond to Moses' prayer here in these first verses of 12 through 14? After threatening to leave Moses and the people, God surprised us. In verse 14, God says, yes, I'll stay with you, Moses. And not only will I stay with you, I will give you rest as well. Do you see that? God says yes to Moses' request. He is reaffirming to Moses what he's told him over and again, which is, I am with you. I will be with you. I'm going to go with you. And this is the number one promise in all of Scripture. I will be with you. In hard times like ours, we can go back to the promise of, especially in our loneliness and fear, that God is with us, that God is present in a very real way. How do we renew our sense of God's presence? Well, look at it right here in this text. Moses is showing it. You pray about his presence. You want him to be with you. You pray about the promise with God. You dwell on it. I am with you. I will be with you. I'm going to go with you wherever you are. This opens our eyes and opens our hearts to experiencing Christ. Well, the gospel gets better here. 
God gives another promise of rest in our text. And isn't it interesting that he says, I will give you rest to Moses here? Where have we heard that before? I will give you rest. Well, just like Moses, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father saying, Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus gives us rest. And let me be clear, it's not just from our circumstances. He wants to rescue us from our circumstances and ultimately from sin and death, but usually he starts with our own hearts with him, giving us the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that comes in the comforter of the Holy Spirit. God wants to give you his spirit first so that you're satisfied with him first, not with just a change in circumstances. Now, at this point, you'd think Moses, after these verses, say, man, God's going to be with me. I'm good. But Moses is revealed in another way in his next prayer. He's revealed as a lover, not only of God, but even of people. Look with me at verse 15. This is what he says. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he says, and then he goes in verse uh, 15, he says, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people. Now, at this point, you think Moses would just be satisfied with, hey, I've got God with me. I'm good, right? That's what the American individualists are saying. But Moses sees more. He says, I want not only you and your presence to be in my life, I'm praying you will bring your presence into the rest of Israel and stay with all of us. Do you know how bold this prayer is? This is crazy bold because earlier in the chapter, God said, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm not going to hang out with this, these unholy people who commit spiritual adultery against me. Are you kidding me? But right here, Moses is daring to ask God, stay with us. Stay with us. Now, let's be clear. When God leaves a people in Scripture, it is not good. In Ezekiel, it talks about how God left the temple in Jerusalem, and right after he left that temple, guess what happened? The Babylonians came in and, and, and destroyed Jerusalem, crushed it, including the temple. And then when Jesus was on the cross, a temple veil was torn, and many of us think, well, what's that about? Well, that's where the Holy Spirit left the temple and filled God's people as temples, and when he left that temple, sure enough, the temple was destroyed again by the Romans in 70 AD. You see, when God leaves, it's not a good situation. That's why Moses prays with such fervor with God and presses him to keep his presence nearby. But, but don't miss this. The hero, the mediator Moses is going to bat for his people in love trying to reconnect them in reconciliation. 
Now, what's Moses' prayer got to do with us today? What's the hero's prayer got to do with us? Christ has served as our mediator once and for all on the cross. He's the ultimate hero who overcomes the sin that makes us leave him, but he won't leave us. Christ is our advocate who is even praying for us right now at the right hand of God the Father. Through Christ's cross, we are reconciled to God when we trust in Christ alone for our salvation, not in ourselves, but in him. More than that, Jesus is actively praying for you and me and us and his people around the world right as we speak. And you know what he's praying? He's praying for the presence as well. He's praying to send the Holy Spirit to fill us. Remember what Jesus said in John 14? He says this, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you follow Christ, Jesus is praying that the Holy Spirit will fill you. And your job as a Christian is to say, Holy Spirit, fill me is to receive what God is pouring out unto you in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know him. Don't forget him. God is with you even in the midst of all of this stuff that we're walking through. Now, somebody at this point may say, wait a minute. So the Holy Spirit is available to us. What do we do in gaining the Holy Spirit? How do we enjoy him in the midst of our trials? Well, here's an interesting thing. In Luke 11, Jesus says this, ask, seek, and knock. And Luke 11 tells this interesting story. He teaches his disciples how to pray the Lord's Prayer, and then he tells a parable about this uh, man who shows up at a friend's house in the middle of the night and wants food. He wants food because apparently he's had a visitor, and those times hospitality demanded that you feed your visitors even when they show up in the middle of the night. You take care of them, or it would be a matter of terrible shame. So this one man who gets up in the middle of the night goes over to a neighbor's house, and he starts asking the neighbor, could you please give me bread to, fill, to help feed my neighbor? Now, it's the middle of the night. It's like 2 in the morning. And the man who's in the, the neighbor's in the other house wakes up and says, man, my family's asleep. I'm not going to give you bread right now. Go back to sleep. Go home. Don't worry about it. Now, the man is so desperate. The man so needs this bread, he starts to really beg the guy, urge him. He won't let up. And then Jesus says this, ask, seek, and knock. Just like the man beating down the door to get the bread. And you're thinking, what's that got to do with us? Well, here's the deal. This is what Moses is doing here. He's asking, seeking, and knocking. When you pray, the experience is a lot like the resistance of the neighbor. At first, you're thinking, God's not listening. Is God even engaged? Does he care? But what God is teaching us is a hunger and a pursuit of him, asking of him, persistently asking of him, and persevering so that he can answer in his time. 
God wants us to pray like we mean it. He wants us to pray like we mean it. So what that means is when we pray, we pray for people to come to the Lord in our time. Just like Moses is praying for the Israelites, that they can come along. We want to pray, God, bring others along with us in this adventure with you and even the challenges of this time. But even more, you ask, seek, and knock for the Holy Spirit. You ask, seek, and knock for the Holy Spirit. You know why I know that? Because at the end of Jesus' parable, he says this, anyone who asks the Father for the Spirit, he will gladly give the Spirit to them. We should ask that the Spirit fill us and pray like we mean it. The beauty of praying like we mean it is that in our text, we learn that God says yes. God says yes. Moses, he tells Moses, I'm going to stay with not only you, but I'm going to stay with the people. I'm not going to leave you, and I'm not going to leave the people. God is such a loving father, he's willing to say, I'm going to stay engaged with the people at your request. Wow. you got to think at this point, Moses has actually persuaded God to um, stay with his people after he had threatened to leave them. Now, let's be clear. This is part of God's great plan. God's got part of the plan that, he, that Moses learned how to seek God and be persuasive and call on him in prayer. And you got to think at this point, Moses has quite a prayer life, don't you? But there's one last prayer that Moses gives in verse 18 of our text. Look at that with me in verse 18. Here's what he says. Moses says, please show me your glory. Every once in a while in Scripture, you come upon a prayer that's worth stopping on. All prayers matter in Scripture, but this one especially matters. Moses has been stuck in a smoke-filled car with the Israelites, and he finally gets to think the thing that matters to him most, what he wants to see, what he hopes to see. He prays to see the Lord. At this point, somebody was saying, wait a second, hasn't Moses been seeing the Lord already? Show me your glory. Hasn't been seeing God's glory? Yes, he has. At the, uh, at the burning bush, he saw the, the pillar of fire. He saw even God in the cloud and the thunder on Mount Sinai. But you've got to understand, God was veiled in those times. He couldn't see him specifically. He couldn't see all of God in his glory. And here he wants to see more. He wants to see more. He wanted to see what we call the beatific vision. The beatific vision is where we see God and his face in all of his glory. Now, the amazing thing about his request to show me your glory is this. You ready? God says yes again. That's three straight yeses. God's answering yes, yes, yes. And that's because Moses is asking for things that are not only consistent with what God wants, but are things that God as a father is pleased to give. The amazing thing of God saying yes is, is what Josh is going to talk about next week in the beatific vision, that God will let Moses see him. And you got to understand that doesn't happen all the time necessarily. It's an uncommon occurrence throughout Scripture and certainly an uncommon occurrence in life. But here's how it applies to us. Haven't you ever thought 
if I could only see God, if I could only see him with my own eyes. Now, granted, some demand proof that God will show himself now so they can believe, and God will not be manipulated by that or controlled by that demand. Nonetheless, don't miss that God wants his people to see him. Someone may say, well, now, Moses is getting to see it in this unusual moment, and, of course, there's other moments in Scripture. How can we see God in our time? Well, here it is. You can see God in the echoes of his glory in creation. When you look at the beauty of the blue sky, the mountains and their greatness, the sea and its power, and yes, the beautiful sky and its painted glory sometimes, those are not God, but they are echoes of him, pointing to him saying, God is more beautiful, infinitely more powerful. God is infinitely greater than your experience even now. So you can see the echoes of God and beauty and elegance of creation. But even more, you see God in Jesus. In John 14, Jesus had just said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father by me. And he says that you will see the Father. And Philip, one of his disciples, says this interesting thing. He says, Lord, will you show us the Father? And it will be enough will be great and good to see him. And you know what Jesus says? Philip, have I not been with you all this time and you don't see me? He goes on to say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You see God in Jesus Christ. Want to know how you can smile in hard times, how you can have hope in hard times? Look at Jesus and see his smile toward you first. In John 17, just a few chapters after this experience with Philip, Jesus goes on to pray for the disciples like us today. And he prays that we may end up where he is and see the glory of God that's in him. Of course, many of you know at many weddings you hear first. Corinthians 3, it says, uh, where it says that those who call on Christ and love him as Savior will see him face to face. One day, Jesus will come back. And when he appears, we'll be like him and see him as he is. We will have these resurrection bodies and new eyes to see him with physical eyes in his physical form. And we'll see him in all his glory. How do you see Christ now? How can you see him as I've described him even today? You see him with the eyes of faith. You see with faith now, but one day when Jesus returns, you'll see him with your actual eyes, your new eyes. And you not only see him with faith, you see him with your ears. That's what the old Puritans used to say. They'd say, uh, we see God with our ears. That is in the gospel as he's revealed to us in the words of Scripture. You can see God even today in Christ. And one day you'll see him face to face. And that's what you hope for. That's what Moses longed for. That's why we pray, Lord, show us your ways. 
Lord, bring other people along with us that we may enjoy this together and show us your glory, Lord, that we may see you and fall in love with you yet again. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you today, as the Lord of glory, and in the midst of COVID, even some of us going through hard seasons of life, some of us going through okay seasons of life, but whatever the grind is like in seasons, remind us that you're a good and a gracious God, a kind God, and that you can help us to see. And I pray today for myself, for everyone here, that you would give us spiritual eyes to see you, to see you, Jesus, in the gospel and by faith, to see you in all your beauty and, and glory and splendor, even now with hope, and to see you, Father, as smiling when we ask you to help us to know you anew. Make us a knowing people, Lord. Through Christ alone we pray. Amen.